Hello and welcome to Don't Burst My Bubble with me, your host, Josh Ascroft. In today's episode of the show, I am delighted to be joined by Mr. Ben Golliver. Ben started his career writing for Blazers Edge, also working for the likes of CBSSports.com, Sports Illustrated, and is currently the national NBA writer for the Washington Post. And now first-time author, his book Bubble Ball is being released in May 2021. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Josh. We're right in the middle of bubble play here. I'm actually uh, you know, in the bubble down here in Orlando. I've been here for more than a month now. Time runs together. There's sort of a Groundhog Day vibe, but there's also like this really eerie uh, sense of security settling in here where we kind of feel like no one's testing positive. So we've almost got our own little uh, you know, world uh, inside the bigger world kind of taking place. Um, you know, it's been a strange experience, but, uh, you know, I think the good news is the games are going on. They've been really exciting. And the other good news is, of course, everyone's staying healthy. And uh, that includes myself. I feel very lucky and fortunate to be down here. And I'm, I'm glad to talk about it with you. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's that's truly a once in a lifetime opportunity. I was hoping that uh, with everything that's happening with college sports, maybe the Big Ten Network will be kind enough to send me down there, too, because I definitely have. <laughs> some FOMO. I wish I could be at some of these games. But my, my first question for you really is, I know that I've heard a little bit about it from you on other podcasts. Uh, what, are you, what are you doing in your free time? I, I mean, I'm not sure how much of that you really have now that we have playoff games going on with four a day, but what are you doing with your free time? Well, it's funny. When we first got here, there was a lot of free time because they put you through a week-long quarantine where you can't leave your hotel room. You're strictly stuck inside your room. The only people who I saw for an entire week were the people who dropped my food off at my door, which I was not allowed to interact with, and they were wearing full medical gear and gloves and all that stuff. And then the, uh, the actually the, the technicians basically who took our coronavirus test, so they would jab cotton swabs down my throat and, and stick it up my nose. And that was my only human contact for seven days. It was pretty strange. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you. And sometimes during those tests, I mean, even though they're uncomfortable, I'd be like, hey, guys, slow down a little bit. Don't yeah. touch this thing yeah. because this is like the only conversation. This is all I have. Yeah. Right? This is all I got for today. Um, so there, there was a lot of free time during that period. And I really just tried to like double down on my exercise routine. I mean, I was pacing back and forth in my room like a maniac trying to get my steps from my Fitbit watch, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. Um you know, once that time period passed, we had a slow ramp up, you know, practices and then scrimmages and then games. And now we're right in the middle of the thick of the playoffs. And you know, the first two weeks of the playoffs, I always tell people are the craziest two weeks of my entire year because you have eight series. Every single game matters. Every storyline matters. If Joel Embiid calls out, you know, a defensive coverage needs to shift in that Sixers series. Well, that's going to be a headline. If LeBron comes out flat in game one, well, that's going to be a headline. And and so we get into a very reactionary and kind of crazy mode, you know, during this time period. So I'd say at this particular moment, I don't have a lot of free time. But what I do try to do for balance is make sure I'm getting in at least an hour of walking every day. And they've opened up the campus for us slightly. Now, initially, we were kind of stuck inside this pen that was about 0.8 miles total in perimeter. So you can imagine it's only taking about 12 or 13 minutes to walk around the entire uh, area that the media was allowed to go. They've opened up the exterior slightly now, Josh, so we can actually go for uh, you know longer walks. There's uh, these small lakes alongside the roads. And of course, the roads are all empty because there's no tourists here. They've cleared this whole place out for us. Right. So on those walks, I've seen alligators. I just saw a giant snake yesterday. I've seen beautiful oh herons. 
Um, so I'm getting acclimated a little bit with the, um, the Florida wildlife. There's lots of pretty butterflies and dragonflies. But, you know, the, the crazy part about it is a thunderstorm down here can happen at any moment. So yesterday I just came home and, you know, I went outside for a half an hour walk and I came back like I had been in the shower for four hours. <laughs> I mean, I was completely soaked head to toe. But um, other than, you know, some exercise, I'll tell you what, it's all basketball all the time. The games start at one. They go until... Uh, past midnight for uh, the, the the post game interviews after the last games, and you know a lot of times I'm right until 3 a.m. So and you wake up and do it again. That that's kind of the life right now. Rinse and repeat. Wow. Have you experienced any sort of basketball fatigue yet, or do you see that coming on? I mean, luckily, hopefully, you're going to have a couple of series that at least get done relatively quickly. Like Raptors Nets should be wrapped up. You would you would think in the next few days. Do you, do you see that basketball fatigue setting in with just the sheer amount you have right now? Absolutely. Well, so first of all, the thing I'm not going to do is complain because I, it was hard right. during those four months with no games where you would have just killed to have a chance to look at the Raptors third stringers. Right? Oh, 100%. So not, not even the, not even the Raptors third stringers, the Nets third stringers. You, you just kill to watch those guys, play, yes. even if you don't know their names half the time. Um, so I think that's number one. It's great to have basketball back. I really missed it. I mean, my whole life has been. Uh, devoted to basketball, you know, full time for basically the last 13 years. So there was a huge void waiting to be filled. I mean, I'm one of the few media members, uh, independent media members who's down here for the entire 94 days. So I, I came in with the mentality of, look, bro, you got to pace yourself. You have to take this easy. So during the seating games and the scrimmages, I limited myself to two games per day. I've kept that up during the playoffs. Now, that's in terms of going to watch them in person and to cover them. Um, I, I've been watching the other games just on an iPad here and there, you know, making mm -hmm. sure I'm staying up on uh, on everything. But I've been trying to just get into a rhythm where usually I go watch the last two games of the day. Um, and uh, and so far, that's worked out pretty well for me. But, yeah, man, it's it's very fatiguing. There really are no days off. But I knew that when I when I signed up for it, I realized it was going to be basically a three month marathon. And I do think there's a lot of people here who are kind of looking forward to the second round of the playoffs because the pace will slow down at that point. Um, it won't be four games every single day. And remember, during the seeding rounds, we had like up to seven or eight games per day. So that was even crazier to try to just, you know, wrap your mind around the games that are happening in three gyms simultaneously. So, um, look, this is a basketball fan's dream. No one's complaining about there being too much hoops. Um, I think that uh, as we keep going, though, we're going to see the number of games decrease, but the intensity increase. We've already seen that so far here in the playoffs. And that part's been fun, like seeing some guys really get after it, you know, chest to chest talking or, um, you know, feeling the urgency of needing to bounce back like the Lakers did last night. Those are very typical playoff things. And even though these are empty gyms and everybody's just watching on TV and, you know, we're down here in the middle of Florida, it's nice to have those familiar elements, uh, you know, from the competition standpoint, um, rise to the surface here during the playoffs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've been so happy to get back to watching it. I was so impressed through the seeding games, actually, like the level of offense. I know a lot of people have sort of spoken about uh, how playing in the same gym every night will potentially help out certain shooters in terms of depth perception, everything like that. I've I've just been delighted to have hoops back. It's been so much fun. And like you were saying, I, I think that I made the mistake in the seeding games of I was watching like every game or like all eight on like three <laughs> three different screens at once trying to take it all in but it's been it's been a lot of fun i was wondering um so when you like it's been spoken about as like a summer camp as like this 
really strange experience where you have all the all these players together where they they see each other after games i know jamal murray posted on instagram that like he bumped into donovan mitchell right after he dropped 57 on them which is naturally a really weird experience that wouldn't usually happen but do you think the novelty has kind of started to uh, come off for the players now are they still happy to oblige with all the, the mask wearing and the test taking all of that kind of stuff I think the players who are down here have definitely adjusted it's, it's been uh, a process for everybody look I mean you have to every morning when you wake up you have to take your temperature you have to give a pulse reading you've got to upload this those into an app you've got to make sure you go get tested all of those things are mandatory if you don't do them you're going to have to go back into the quarantine process and it's just like any other routine. It's super weird for the first week or two, right? And then now it becomes old habit and you're just, you know, you're doing it like you're tying your shoes. So um, the mask wearing, you know, I found just personally, I forget to wear my mask less often than I did when I first got here. Um, mm -hmm. And again, you've got to rush right back to your room to make sure you've got it. Um, same deal even with like bringing your credentials with you or making sure you have your Disney magic band on so you can get back into your hotel room. Like, all the different details of life down here, I think people have, have settled in and they kind of get it. Um, so I think from that standpoint, uh, I wouldn't say that guys are happy, but I just talking to like the union leaders, for example, they say they're hearing fewer complaints than they did. Um, guys have settled in. You can order lots of stuff. Every day I go over to the shipping center and you just see like flat screen TV after flat screen TV being <laughs> shipped here. So like these guys are, are doing whatever they can to kind of, uh, you know, take care of themselves uh, off the court. But what I really noticed was when the playoffs hit, it kind of got eerily quiet on campus. Like all the mm. buzz and the excitement and the summer camp stuff that was going on during the seating round, it really kind of receded. It was sort of like, uh, now it's serious. Like now yeah. we're doing it for real. And, uh, you know, of course, we're physically separated to a large degree from the players on campus. You know, we're not supposed to go over to their hotel, uh, for example. However, you know, we do interact with them on a pretty regular basis here on the campus. And it just felt like, OK, it was business time. Right. And you're seeing guys out and about a little bit less because they have their game day routines they have to take care of now. They have their practice day routines they have to take care of now. So I do think that it's gotten a little bit uh, more of a serious vibe. Um, and it, it's same thing in the interviews, by the way, after games, you know, guys are treating this like the playoffs. Um, they're feeling a, a greater urgency. And that's how it should be, uh, because, you know, if they didn't, if it just felt like more regular season games, um, I think the product would suffer. Yeah, I was going to ask about that in terms of the actual basketball itself. Uh, on TV, it's been great for the viewers. Honestly, a lot of the time, I don't notice that much of a difference of a crowd not being there. The court's a little different, uh, like on the baseline, you don't have the, the team's names, that sort of thing. Was from an actual playing perspective, was it immediately obvious once the playoffs started in the same way that it usually is like, OK, we've taken a leap here in terms of the defense is higher level. We're playing more half court basketball. The intensity is higher, even without the, the fans bringing it to a new level as well. Well, the first thing I would say is that the level that we got, uh, even starting with the scrimmages, but then also the seeding games was so much higher than I expected. I mean, I was like pouring over this plan, trying to predict what the bubble would look like for months before we even got down here. And I'm, I love it when I'm just totally wrong. And I was completely wrong. I thought offense was going to be way behind defense. I thought you, know, you were going to get teams coming in here really struggling to shoot the basketball, not able to kind of get the rhythm with their offense for at least the first month. I mean, my main prediction was like, 
we should have some good basketball by the second round of the playoffs. Like everybody needs to just kind of like hang in there through the regular season and, and maybe we'll get rewarded down the road. And instead, the offense has really hit the ground running. The three-point sh- uh, shooting has just been remarkable. Huge scoring performances from, you know, Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell, who you mentioned earlier. And, you know, the list goes on. So it's been a real pleasant surprise, just the overall quality of play since we got here. And so from that standpoint, I'm not sure it was super dramatic going from regular season to playoffs because it was already at a higher level than I expected. The other thing I would say here is it's a real credit to the players' love of the game. I think fans and media members uh, like us, obviously we miss basketball and we were just chomping at the bid for it to come back. But I think what we learned in the first month of the bubble was that the players miss the game more than everybody, right? I mean, this is what they do. This is what they get paid to do. They're competitive. This is how they're wired. And so it should maybe have been a, a gigantic surprise that's, that that's how it turned out. But you know, we've seen situations after lockouts where guys don't come back into shape or they don't come back super motivated, or maybe they just take a while to kind of ramp up you know, to get back up to 100%. And what we saw down here was like, you know, that first weekend, you had basically every single superstar guy in the league just go nuts in the first 72 hours. And um, I wasn't fully expecting that. And it was it was great to see. And they've kept up the high intensity here, uh, you know, f- for the most part, you know, pretty thoroughly. Now, they did take some games off there for rest and so forth. Um, right before the playoffs started. But, you know, that that aspect is over, uh, and now it's just, you know, on to playoff basketball. Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, your book, Bubble Ball, uh, for a little bit. I'm definitely excited to read it. I've actually already pre-ordered my copy. You can pre-order oh, uh, Barnes & Noble. So, so nice of you. Thank you. Everyone listening, yeah, go, get on that. Um, at what point uh, did you decide that this was going to be – uh, like a great idea for a book. Did you come into the bubble with that idea? Has that developed as the bubble has gone on? What What was that process like? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I people always ask me like, oh, how'd your career start? Or like, what did you do? And like, to be honest, I feel like the guy who's just stumbling around in the dark who happens to keep finding really cool things as he's kind of walking because- Well, um, it's working, this, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's working out. I, I mean, I think the lesson is just like, keep working hard and hopefully good things will happen. I think that's kind of been uh, the story for, for my run. But, um, you know, it was something that I had kind of talked about with friends and family. Oh, that'd be kind of interesting. And I've always thought, oh, writing a book would be a cool bucket list thing to do. But I just never really felt like I had the subject, you know, before coming down here. I was w- worried, is this thing even going to work? Is the bubble going to hold? Like, are we all just going to be coming back to home in, you know, three weeks? I mean, you just never really know. But I had spent so much time reporting on the subject already. I did really feel well-versed in it. And once I got here, I just took to it. You know, some guys like the bubble, some guys don't. I think I'm a pretty introverted person, so... You know, the social distancing rules and all that doesn't really bother me. You know, I'm okay with that. And the fact that we got basketball back, it's it's kind of worth all the sacrifices to me. And so, um, like I said, I just, as soon as I got down here, I got really excited and just, you know, was was trying to basically go, you know, dive in head first. And um, I wrote an essay, you know, when I got right out of quarantine that basically just described what life was like, described uh, kind of in a first person way, you know, my journey from March to July and, and all the conflicting emotions along the way and what life was like. And, um, you know, I started getting some interest in just like, you know, this is probably bigger than just an essay. Like this could be a, a real book project. So um, we talked pretty quickly. The whole thing came together like pretty fast. I was uh, you know, really surprised and, you know, kind of impressed about how quickly the whole project came together. But like you said, it's going to be published in May by Abrams Books. And I'm really not going to start writing it until I leave the bubble in October. 
So it's a, you know, it's just kind of a daunting task to, to hear you say, oh, you've pre-ordered it. Well, I need to pre-write it. Let me just yeah. put it that way. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we got to get there first, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's going to be a passion project. I mean, ultimately, that's what it comes down to is, um, you know, I love the sport. I've loved the creativity and the leadership they've shown to try to, you know, to bring it back in these tough times. And it's just a weird environment where I realize, you know, if you go forward, you know, 20, 30 years in life, it's going to be the kind of thing I, I think that people will ask me about a lot. Um, but it's also going to be the kind of thing that's a turning point for the NBA. If you look at 19, you know, 79, 80, when Magic and Larry come in, or 92, when Michael, you know, goes to the, the Olympics, or 2003, when the LeBron era starts, like those are major checkpoint years for the NBA. And I think uh, to me, 2020 is going to be one of those years when you talk about the finances, when you talk about the virus, when you talk about, you know, nearly losing the playoffs. And then you have a, a pretty epic title chase here with LeBron and Giannis and Kawhi all sort of dueling for it. Maybe James Harden thrown into the mix. Maybe the Raptors are trying to repeat. You just got a lot of rich basketball storylines on top of everything else. So um, it just seemed like the right time, the right place. And hopefully I'm the right guy and, and hopefully I don't let you down. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's has the potential to impact so much of the game, not only in its history, but we saw the success of the play-in tournament. Maybe that continues to some capacity in the next few NBA seasons as well. I just know that I'm looking forward to the Lou Williams Magic City chapter. That's that's <laughs> that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, so. I, w I was wondering, do you know yet, you said, you know, you haven't started uh, actually writing it yet. Do you know how much of it is going to be uh, talking about your own experiences, the actual basketball itself, the the social justice and the pandemic as well is kind of the the backdrop for everything that's going on within the bubble as well. Like it will, uh, the, the social justice and, and obviously the pandemic plays a very important part, but I think that uh, you could argue, given everything that was going on in the U.S. at, at the time of the bubble starting, uh, you could argue that the social justice was kind of just as big of a deal as the, the coronavirus in the country at the time. Absolutely. And like, I mean, you see it last night, LeBron's got his copy of the autobiography of Malcolm X, and he's sort of waxing about uh, the impact of Malcolm X on, on 20, uh, 20th century America. Right. So, I mean, it's just infused here on a daily basis. That's absolutely going to be a major part of it. I mean, to me, the book is it's going to try to basically cover March to October and everything that went on with that. So you want to talk about how the NBA and the Players Association came together with the plan you want to talk about the despair that set in for everybody in March when it seemed like games were going to be canceled. They've held the finals every year, uh, basically since like 1947. So the pressure to keep that streak up and, and crown a champion was massive. Um, you're talking about billions of television revenue, billions lost in a re uh, arena revenue. Um, so the stakes were massive. So that's all part of the story. But then, of course, you've got the health aspect, which is a major deal because it governs our daily life here in the bubble. You have the social justice stuff, again, which is on the court. It's on the players' jerseys. It's on their minds constantly. It's in their interviews constantly. That will be a part of it. And then I do think the second half of the book or so is going to be a more traditional title chase type story where you're, you're kind of uh, homing in on who's going to win. Um, what does it mean? Is their championship going to be validated? Will people say it has an asterisk? Those kinds of questions that I think are going to kind of carry the stretch run of the book. But I think ultimately, like the setup here, and the stakes, it has to take into account all that context that you're mentioning. 
Uh, do you have a position where you stand? Obviously, we've heard of the asterisks for this title. Some NBA players want to talk about this being the most difficult title that will ever been won. I think that as certain teams get kicked out of the bubble, out of the playoffs, I can see like maybe people will players themselves will talk about how like well you know this is a completely different situation Joel Embiid was talking about that the other day like oh we're down 2-0 usually we would go back in front of our fans at Philly and we never seem to lose in front of them uh where do do you stand on the where this championship sort of lies well I think uh first of all I I will not apply an asterisk to it because I think the games have had enough validity here and enough percentage of the players are available that I think that it it should stand as a typical title now I do think that if an unexpected team wins it like I don't know Denver Utah like just a team that's not like a top tier contender coming in back in March I think there will be a lot of asterisk talk because people will say hey look if there was never a shutdown it would have been the Bucks, the Lakers, or the Clippers, and so therefore this title doesn't count, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know if that will be the predominant narrative, but I just think that talk will kind of always be there. Now, of course, there will be even more uh, asterisk talk if some high-profile player were to test positive and not be available for a playoff series. Now, in that situation, I think that that kind of talk would ramp up, and of course, at that point, the player's health would be more important than the asterisk talk. So we just need to keep our priorities in order for sure. Um, now past that, uh, on the, is this a gold star title? You know, the most difficult one of all time. I think that's a, kind of a, a spin job, to be honest. I think it's, a, you know, taking things a little bit too far. Um, I also think that like, since we've gotten down here and now there's no travel, you don't have to change time zones. You can kind of get on a normal sleeping routine and all that. Uh, I think that part of the reason why the players are playing so well and shooting so well is because it's actually not as hard as the typical playoffs because in a typical playoff series, you're traveling thousands of miles back and forth regularly over the course of a best of seven series. And, you know, you're staying in hotels and you're packing up and you're, you're moving out and all that kind of stuff. And here it's a, a basketball dream, really. I mean, all you have to do is go, you know, 10 minute ride back and forth from the hotel to the arena. You play in the same gym every single night, same sight lines. Nobody's heckling you. Uh, you know, you, you know exactly what you're getting. So, from that standpoint, uh, I think that some of the talk about, oh, this is going to be the toughest title. Our lives are going to be so difficult. Look, it's not entirely comfortable, especially for millionaire players to be living in Disney World for weeks on end. But at the same time, like it's not uh, logistically as difficult as a tip, uh, as a typical playoff run. Yeah, absolutely. I've wondered on this podcast whether the the lack of travel will help out teams like like a Rockets, who we saw them when they went on to try out this small ball lineup that they're now running at the as we came to sort of the hiatus point, they looked really great to start off, but then completely sort of wore down because it's so exhausting trying to play that style of basketball. Now, the fact that they don't have to travel, you've, you've got to think that that's going to help out a team like that that's running a 100 miles an hour for all 48 minutes and they, they don't have the same uh defensive presence necessarily in the sense that they don't have the height and they have to work around that you'd think that uh that that would benefit them i'm actually i've been a little crazy with like the bracket that i've been filling out i actually have a rockets raptors final so if that happens know that i called it first but (laughs) we'll see what we'll see what happens on that one um i just wanted to uh talk to you sort of to to end 
about uh, the Lakers-Blazers series, because I know the history that you have with the, the Blazers as a franchise growing up in Oregon, and I see this as kind of the series that has probably caught the imagination of the media and the public the most in terms of there being uh, an idea seriously floating around that the Blazers Blazers could cause an upset here. It's not off the table. They're not a regular eight seed uh, by any means. Uh, how do you feel about this Blazers team right now? Obviously, they didn't perform last night, or rather the Lakers really stepped it up last night. Where do you see this series going? Yeah, look, I picked Lakers in six. Um, I think that game one definitely shook me up pretty good in terms of how well Portland played and how bad the Lakers looked. And so, I mean, my takeaway from game one was like, look, you know, Portland's not your typical eighth seed because they've gotten some of their um, players who were injured back and because they were in the conference finals last year. But the Lakers were just not looking like a typical one seed. You know, they didn't have the offensive rhythm. The shooting wasn't there. They made some key defensive mistakes on the stretch of game one, and it just kind of seemed like the sky was falling on the Lakers. LeBron didn't look quite right. Anthony Davis didn't look quite right. The role players weren't stepping up. And there was a lot of trouble signs there. And so people who picked that upset were feeling really good after game one. But now we're riding that really typical playoff momentum swing where we're going all the way back the other direction on the pendulum. And, uh, you know, the Lakers, you know, look dominant in game two clamped everything down on defense. Anthony Davis really got going. I mean, he's been the X factor for them all season and, and for these playoffs. I mean, if, if he winds up looking like the best player on the court, they're going to be really, really tough to stop in a series. If he fades away or, or disappears a little bit like he did in game one, they're super vulnerable. And I just don't know if they have enough offense around him to, uh, to make up for it. So, uh, you know, I think you saw, you know, bad Anthony and good Anthony, and that was sort of the difference in these two games. I'm still feeling pretty good about Lakers in six. I think for Portland, the challenge is just energy sustaining momentum after such a long run to just get into the, the playoffs, you know, going through the play in game, needing to have such a, you know, a good record in the seeding games. I mean, that's a challenge to kind of sustain that they played their main guys, lots of minutes. I think that's going to catch up and you know, the Lakers have been resting their guys. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to bet against LeBron against anything except for an elite team in the playoffs. And so that's sort of why I landed on Lakers in six. And I'm still feeling pretty good about that. But, uh, you know, I think that they're they're vulnerable in general, like that Houston pick that you're making. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a matchup uh, benefit, I think, for Houston to stylistically against the Lakers. And then I look at the Clippers, you know, that's to me a deeper and better team than the Lakers. So uh, we'll see if they're going to be able to make it through this gauntlet. But, uh, you know, I think there's a reason why LeBron's kind of been hyping this up as like the toughest task of his career. Um, you know, he's down a couple guys because of the coronavirus or because of, uh, you know, injury issues. Uh, the supporting cast is not great. They've got tough matchup issues kind of throughout the bracket. I mean, if they have to play Portland, Houston, uh, Clippers, and then the champion from the East, I mean, that's not an easy title run at all. So add all that up. And I, I think that uh, I'm taking the Lakers to win this battle. But I guess in the wider war of the, of the playoffs, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get it done. Yeah, I was I was watching the game last night, and it, it's funny with the Lakers because you end up with some really great ball movement with LeBron on the floor. You're going to struggle not to. He's always going to find that open guy. But there were times last night where I'm pretty sure the lineup was like LeBron, AD, uh, Caruso, KCP, and Markeith Morris. And the ball was kind of getting passed around the perimeter, and I was kind of just thinking like, well, I don't really have 
I don't feel threatened by any of these guys who are standing out on the on the three point line at least. Like LeBron can be a good three point uh, shooter, as can Anthony Davis certainly for his size, but they just don't have the same shooting ability that a lot of other teams have, and I think that that has definitely caused significant issues for them and probably will continue to. Uh, I'm a real stat guy. I, I like just looking into basketball reference, and we haven't seen what would be considered a usual start to a playoff series for LeBron in the sense that over these first two games, he's averaging 15 and a half points. He only scored 10 points last night. And I, I was doing some digging because I, I was curious. So LeBron's never scored 10 points or less in any game of any first round series of his entire career. And in fact, he's only scored 10 points or less three times in any game in any playoffs in all of his career. So I was wondering from your perspective, do you see that as LeBron is still conserving his body for a series where he feels like he might need to dominate more offensively. Like we know he's still had some underlying issues with that groin injury, or are we going to continue to see his primary role be to facilitate to Anthony Davis because he's never really had a teammate like him before? Yeah, no, I wouldn't look too much into that. I mean, he didn't play his typical minutes. They didn't have to gun down the stretch of game two just because um, they were up by so much. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a factor there. I mean, ultimately, the main goal in game two was to get AD off. Like, there was no you know ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was like, look, he felt bad about how he played in game one. He, he actually told the media that afterwards that he was really down on himself and LeBron gave him some space to kind of cool off after game one, just because he didn't have the type of show he wanted. Um, and he was getting crushed on social media too. people calling him too passive and, and basically saying, Hey, why isn't he showing up? So um, I think that their main goal was to, to sort the AD thing. And then once the shooters started to show signs of life, LeBron's going to try to f- feed them and build their confidence, right? Like he knows he needs a third and a fourth option. If you go back to his title teams, Miami, Cleveland, they always had outlet guys, you know, um, you know, people who could just kind of chip in here and there. And the problem during the seeding round is the Lakers just didn't have any of those outlet guys. Like just no one was stepping up every once in a while. It was Kuzma, but otherwise they were just basically getting nothing from anyone. So you start to see KCP actually play well for the first time in a while offensively. And it's just like feed that hot hand. It's more important that KCP scores than LeBron scores. So I think that was his mentality. Um, but at the same time, we have not seen A-plus LeBron um, so far during the bubble. We're still waiting for him to ramp up and get close to that. I would kind of put his overall level of play by his standard, not a normal person's standard. By his standards, kind of been like a B, you know, maybe even a B-minus. So I think he's got, you know, multiple levels that he can get to. And, of course, I'm saying that the other night he had like 17 assists or something that, you know, ridiculous like that, a triple-double. Like, his standard is very, very high, but... You know, keep in mind, the last time we saw him in the playoffs, he was putting up 50 plus points in the finals against a really good Golden State Warriors team. Right. So that standard is still really high. He hasn't reached it yet. And I think there's more from LeBron to come. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I don't think this is uh, I don't think we've seen the last of truly great, like 30 point triple double playoff LeBron yet. I'm sure he's still got a couple more of those games left in him. Uh Ben, thank you so much for joining me. I think that that's all the questions I have for you. 
uh yeah thank you so much for being on the podcast it's i think probably been the best episode of the show so far so you've only in fairness you've only had my friend hunter to compete with really <laughs> so i'm gonna have to let him know that he isn't quite on the same uh standard he's gonna have to step his game up for the next episode of the show well take that hunter go blue josh thanks for having me on here and we'll talk soon okay awesome thank you so much have a great rest of your day